Christina, welcome to the Commerce Talks podcast. Um, initially, when uh, Lina came to me with the idea that we should record a podcast with you, I've never heard about like ideas.com. And I went to the website and the first question the website was asking me is, what's your favorite whiskey? So I really felt mm -hmm. at home. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to have like a nice conversation today, uh, asking you and Lina obviously asking you too, also here in our podcast studio, um, please tell us a bit more about IDS and yourself. Okay. Hello, Alex. Hello, Lena. Thank you very much for having me today. Um, I feel very grateful to be able to be on your podcast. Um, IDS. So IDS, I joined um, approximately 16 months ago um, when when the sort of job came up and when they came to me. Uh, uh, it was an interesting one for me because obviously it aligns to um, my background in um, in alcohol but also because um, when they first spoke to me about the role, um, they highlighted how niche the audience was and how sort of new, I guess, to the marketing that the business was. So it had immediately sort of piqued my interest um, about what the opportunity could look like from um, from a marketing perspective. So IDS is International Diplomatic Supplies. Um, they are based in four locations around the world. They um, sort of, to put it in a nutshell, um, we curate Uh, goods, um, particularly alcohol and um, and groceries and perfumes and things like that. Um, and then we sell on to the diplomatic community. So, um, and in a, in a, from a duty-free perspective. Um, so we are quite an unusual business in that it is almost FMCG um, in many ways, um, but to a B2B audience um, in, the, in the way that they purchase. Um, and then also to a B2C audience. Um, in the way that they sort of consume content and um, and purchase online, so it is it's it's a really interesting business. Um, we uh, we operate out of Miami, Europe, UK, and Dubai, uh, with Dubai being the sort of head office. Um, and we currently ship products to over 80 countries around the world, um, and majority of those are in quite inaccessible places um, around Africa and um, and parts of the Middle East. Uh, would be majority of where our business is. Uh, so yes, it is. It's a really interesting business. And when um, when I came on board, um, the business had had uh, approached um, growth, I guess, um, from a more traditional sales uh, model. Um, and then uh, obviously they are interested in growing the business. And then that was highlighted that obviously online is the space to do that. Uh, so I was brought in to sort of start the marketing department and uh, focus on our e-commerce sites. We have many. Um, and to grow the business from that perspective. So that has been the journey so far. What, what, what have you done before? Like you, you said you have like a history in alcohol, I guess like a professional history. <laughs> yes. Well, I do also like drink. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I worked for Pernod Ricard for four years as well, um, based in Sydney. So my role there was to head up the um, CRM and e-commerce um, division for the global wine portfolio uh, with p the particular brands were Jacobs Creek and Brancourt Estate. Um, so yes, that was, that was my, my history in, in, um, in alcohol. And can, can you give us a bit more, um, uh, numbers or just facts about the market itself? Because it sounds like a super niche market, like diplomatic supply. Yes. So how many people on a global level or even like the markets you're catering, um, how big is the market? How many people are working there? Yes. It's a really good question, actually. So I, I think that, well, I would think To be really honest, I can't actually put my finger on exactly what the size of the market is right now. It's something that we're we're trying to work through. Um, I mean, we can obviously Google how many diplomats there are, but 
Um, I would say that we currently have about 30% market share um, at the moment. And majority of that is coming uh, is coming through from the Middle East. So the Middle East is our biggest, um, the Middle East are the biggest markets. Um, and that I don't think is surprising given the nature of that we sell alcohol and that these are predominantly dry, dry states. Um, but then we also have a very, very big opportunity uh, in Africa where um, it's inaccessible. So um, these are these are diplomats who are deployed on missions um, from from other countries, say for the UK or the US. Um, they have missions um, in in places like Sudan, um, and then um, and they can't easily access sort of alcohol or groceries or um, even homewares. Is something that we also sort of offer. And why why is that in the case of Sudan? Just like to to make it a bit more a uh, bit more tangible as an example. So yeah. why is it? So I would have expected that even in Sudan there must be like an FMCG kind of supply chain available. Maybe not your top talisker whiskey, whatever, but yeah. there must be something that is like because there must be demand, like a local demand, regardless of the diplomats uh, being deployed there. Yes, yeah, I think um, there definitely are many local options, um, particularly in some of the more inaccessible places. Um, but they may not be um, they may, may not be cost effective, or they may not be exactly what they're after from a variety perspective. So, um, so for example, U.S. missions like to order U.S. groceries, uh, and I guess it is that feeling of being able to order something from home is something that they're familiar with, particularly when they're um, deployed for quite a long time. So it's a familiarity. A familiarity and a preference thing. Yeah, this is super niche. Lena, have you seen such a niche business uh, before being in touch with IDS? Uh, no, uh, it is very niche, but I would say um, just not many businesses can cater to sort of assortment. Also, as Christina pointed, if you are from the US, you like uh, US sort of groceries and, and brands. If you're from the UK, you the, you would like to order UK uh, products and so forth. So uh, it's niche when it comes to looking from outside. When you when, when but when you're from inside, if you are the diplomat, ideas perceived as sort of Walmart or you know like a premium Walmart or Amazon uh, of every single product from all over the world. So you can get your local products and brands. And at the same time, you are exposed to the global brands at a very attractive price. I would say yes, exactly. Yes, because of course it's also duty free as well, which is something that you're not going to get if you locally source it. Yeah, but 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 Lena, I know you're usually involved like when when you're con help other e-commerce businesses like in like asking the question, what's your USP? How do you win? customers yeah. so, so uh, when you first saw this business it seems to be like an impossible task because like all the standard ways of winning customers online facebook and google yeah i might target maybe on linkedin people with like an m a certain like embassy tech in their profile but i i, I don't know it, it seems to be very very hard so how, how did you go uh, um in like in your analytics word about this kind of business Uh, from from my side, I would say yes. They're, they're here we're still more, let's say, applying the B two B techniques to where uh, the physical, like the real salesperson, is still required, and the relationship is everything. Uh, but uh, so that that's the hard part. I think it takes like in any B two B business, it takes longer to convince the consumer and you know consumers to to sign up with you. 
But once you have signed up, the services that, uh, like I would say the USD of ideas is the services that they provide. And if you look even on their e-commerce website, they can commit to the delivery uh, timeline anywhere in the world to pretty much the second, which is very, very unique. And um, on top of it, they deliver to their promise. So price uh, assortment and services, I would say it's like top notch for these guys. So once you signed up and if that diplomat is currently, let's say in Sudan, in three to five years, the same diplomat will be maybe in the United Arab Emirates. So once you sign, once you got the relationship going, you kind of, and you still continue offering great service and assortment, it's very unlikely that um, that at embassy or the diplomat will switch to another player. So I would say retention is easier, but uh, initial acquisition is a lot harder and takes a lot longer and might need that omni-channel approach where you have a salesperson at the same time, you know, your CRM and date. And Christina can tell more about it. Uh, how we are engaging them uh, on our on a constant basis, so they don't forget about it. Just to, just to prevent that, it's like too niche. So, what are we talking about? Like in terms of revenue, we don't need exact numbers. It's, but we are still it's it's it, it's a size of the business, right? So it's it's not just you and like one guy shipping some some boxes. No. It's like it's it's quite a business, right? Yes, we have 75 people who are employed with the business um, and based um, mostly in the UAE. But then we have the, the other hubs that I mentioned as also sort of warehouses and staff, um, administration and staff within those offices as well. So there are, there's quite a few of us. Um, yeah. and, and how do you identify your customers in your, in your countries? How does it work? Is it like word of mouth? Uh, yes, uh, it is a really, that's a really good question, actually. Um, so the, uh, we are on a journey. Um, and as Lena said, it is, it is quite difficult. I think if we were to sort of have a look at acquisition, um, it's only something that is really sort of starting now. And I think that that's been because the first year in, um, into this, into this role and into the business was really sort of having a look at what was happening organically, so what is happening with our existing customers and how can we grow through the, through word of mouth and through other sort of um, tactics using data. Um, but we are very much at the very beginning of, um, an acquisition, um, approach and we will have to use, so we, we already sort of double with, um, with paid search and some things like that. And a little bit of, um, a little bit of social, but we need to sort of have a look at sort of broadening that, I think, um, and telling more of a brand story and reaching people in more traditional ways, um, so that we are sort of creating that future demand, I think, because we're very good at sort of seizing current demand and converting current demand. But I think that we have a job to do um, from a brand perspective to sort of drive some future future demand as well, new growth, that is. All right, great. So as you talk about, uh, Christina, about growth, maybe let's switch about the digital channel. And as you just mentioned, you joined uh, uh, two years uh, approximately two years ago to, to grow that new channel for ideas. And uh, while preparing for this podcast, I found some statistics uh, saying that 93% of B2B players, um, like uh, the buyers prefer to buy online uh, when they decided to buy. So as you said, you know, once they hear about ideas, actually the, the, the purchasing channel, you know, the preference is uh, uh, online and uh, also another stat I found is that around 
60% of B2B organizations have like one out of their three customers buying online. So uh, maybe you can tell more about the ideas, like where are you in the journey considering you just started and do you see that more and more so existing maybe customers are starting to use your online channel and if not existing, do you acquire new customers because of the new of the e-commerce channel? Yep. Okay. Uh, it's where it's get, it gets pretty interesting actually for us as a business because um, we really have sort of three different types of, of customers or and the last part being consumers. So I think the first would be really pure B2B. It's organizational. It's someone who, um, who, um, who have a retail, like a commissary or a shop where they basically buy on behalf of the shop. Um, so we can consider that very, like very pure B2B. Um, and then the next sort of level down, we have someone who might be um, uh, a manager for the entire embassy, and then they might order on behalf of all of the diplomats within an embassy. Um, so they're kind of a, um, a, a residence um, and a residence manager. And they would be a B2B, but they're still B2C a little bit. They start to cross over a little bit into B2C. Um, and then we have the last one, which is truly B2C. It is people, as you were saying earlier, it's people who can um, who can go online and they can order once they've joined and have an account they can order in the same way that a consumer could from from any major retailers and so the approach is different for all three the retail and the sort of residence managers being the sort of the hardest i guess to get them to convert or to change to online even though that is gradually increasing um and that is because of it's again that sort of strange we are an f we are fmcg in in the nature of our products but then b2b in the way that um they purchase so they have huge orders um, of many items, um, particularly groceries. I mean, literally hundreds. So it does. It isn't as feasible for them to order, you know, to go through the website and to order every single item in the same way that a consumer would and that they do. So for them, it is a different. It has. We still have seventy percent of people purchase online, but we have a couple of uh, additional challenges with those particular particular customer groups. So we are experimenting with new channels to do that. Um, so say, for example, WhatsApp and things where we can, um, and even within the e-commerce platform where we can preempt what they're going to order. This is this is not revolutionary at all, but it just makes sense from us from a business perspective. But we might preempt what they're going to reorder or we represent them with what they've ordered um, and then they can order again and then just try to simplify that process for them so that it is still B2B, but it starts to become a bit more frictionless. Yeah, I was I was anyway wondering. So because like if it's like a diplomat or like somebody like in the diplomatic um, uh, team is, is ordering something, the the average order value is most likely above like $100, maybe $200, $300, especially if it's a B2B order, it might be even higher. This kind of this this kind of average order value plus the the very very um the very very individual contact you're having with your with your customers because it's such a niche niche that that screams messaging commerce so it must be WhatsApp mm. Facebook Messenger or whatever because hey I'd like to I need like three uh, these three whiskey bottles and there are some other drinks and can you pack me this kind of order I need it like at this address uh, mm -hmm. you have the usually you you are you might must be like able to identify the um uh, the the customer through the whatsapp number or mm -hmm. facebook messenger id or, or whatever we have a existing customer relationship in, in many b2b relations i know payment can be um can be postponed like for in, in, in an invoicing process so you don't need ad hoc credit card whatever which is harder mm -hmm. to do via via whatsapp so can you tell us a bit more about Exactly, yes. this transformation, um, your, your online transformation might be 
that you're even, you're jumping like the, the curve. You're going not from offline to website. You, my best guess would have been you're going from offline to WhatsApp. Yes, for, yes, particularly for um, quite a large group of the more really sort of traditional B2B um, customers, we certainly are. The In terms of the transformation, I think, I mean, we are just starting on some of these journeys um, um, from a, a messaging and um, a social commerce perspective, uh, to be honest. But when I first started, I think the most important project that I sort of kicked off and ran with was um, implementing a consumer data platform, which is was and is the most important tool that will help drive a lot of these sorts of things, including our ability to communicate with WhatsApp and other social channels with data and insights about what we know from the consumer perspective. So we implemented that pretty early on. And actually that has been something that not only has made execution from a communications perspective super easy and um, much more efficient and a business size, but it has also start to has have started to in, um, inform some of the other areas of the business from an insights perspective. So, what are people buying? What's trending? Um, and that also then gets served back through the through the website and things like that, and then through the communications. But then it also mm-hmm. goes on to purchasing and other areas of the business in terms of product as well. So that was a really important piece from a transformation perspective for us to put into place really early. About, um, so you mentioned a few of the challenges and one of them, if I summarize correctly, is that getting uh, big players to switch to the online because of the order size, you know, you're, it's challenging. So what you're trying to do is to simplify that journey by using automation and, and kind of reloading their baskets of relevant, uh, relevant products. Second thing, I hear that you're using a lot of other know what we would say e-commerce but you are going back to basis you know kind of using e-commerce but still on a one-to-one relationship like through use of whatsapp and other and other messaging platforms and for that to work you know you relied a lot on the data and um uh, cdp and all was very uh, very important tool and and any other challenges you know that you face as, as this business when it comes to selling online, or is there anything else you would add? One of the biggest challenges that we have, and we've got a solution in place, but I think it's something that we need to have a look at. And again, I'm, uh, I think this will come through from a transformation perspective, is probably the complexity of the products and the pricing, I think is an area that will be interesting for us. So we have seven different e-commerce sites. They're all individual sites at the moment, um, which I think you could both, probably both agree could definitely be consolidated. But the reason for that has been is that we've got different pricing and different structures for different customers from every hub and different product availability from every hub um, because what you see on the site is mm-hmm. what's available. So it's all it's all directly linked. So I think that, that is a challenge for us as a business because obviously off the back of that, it's it's uh, a lot to sustain. And But it's, a, it's, it's incredibly important for the customer because they can see livestock and they know what they're getting is what they're, you know, what they're ordering is what they're getting. But I think that that's something that we need to, have a look at as a business to improve our operational efficiency. But but but, but am, am I right if I guess that um, the time when you started this kind of like e-commerce business is a different side. I think like um, especially the Dubai region, the Magento was kind of a very popular choice. Implementing a more complex system that would have allowed you to um, set up like um, multiple warehouses, different like inventory management, different pricing schemes with just one interface where the customer logs in and say, okay, I'm, um, I don't know, a Dubai resident and um, I'm um, Ahmad 
whatever. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. I get a different price, which is like a very complex calculation, uh, in the, in, uh, in the, in the back office of, of the system, which wasn't actually the, the, the that, that was never Magento was built for not or, yeah. or, or Shopify, whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you started, that wasn't your main issue. I guess when you started, it was like to prove that e-commerce is kind of working. So you, correct. you've chosen like, um, affordable, quick way to do it. Is this mm -hmm. correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure there's probably there's there's products that are uh, interesting to compare with Magento now that maybe weren't around even when they were considering it um, to start with. So I think that their business, as we've moved into Miami and moved into Europe, only sort of fairly recently, and, and Magento sort of existed just before that. So I think that the business has grown and the complexity has grown, and I think like a lot of businesses that these things start to become a bit Frankenstein um, uh, looking because they get sort of bolt on as the requirements change. It's interesting, like to hear like for our for our audience, like this kind of transformation process, like in in learning, yes, e-commerce works, and then obviously e-commerce is not just a channel. It's kind of a very different business model. You have to invest into e-commerce, like in your e-commerce uh, setup, in your order management system, in your inventory management system, like you would to invest in your inventory management or like in a new warehouse or in a new building. So this kind of understanding usually grows within an organization while the e-commerce share is, is growing. Can, can you share the experience here? Because like you're like uh, in, in the business only for 16 months, but I guess like there's like this kind of e-commerce momentum is, is, is still building up within the company because it was a company uh, established on the uh, on the heels of like the the field force, right? On people like meeting yes, um, diplomatic uh, staff, like uh, calling um, um, embassies and going there, presenting like the products and uh, waiting for the orders via phone or a fax mm -hmm. or, or whatever. And now it's growing. It's, it's your, your experience, real e-commerce transformation. So mm -hmm. can, can you share a bit like how this works? There's a there's a quite a few things that I think are contributing to the change. So one is that we we ha if you look at the diplomatic community, I think there's um they obviously are usually they're around in their roles for quite a long time. Um and I think that traditionally that they are not accustomed to necessarily ordering ordering things online. Um and 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 we have some instances in in dry countries for example where they might not be able to access things online such as alcohol um for obvious reasons so there's there's a couple of factors at play that are slowly changing um and what what is i think still contributing to there being you know about 30 percent of offline behavior but then the other the the big part that was contributing to it, I think, was what we spoke about earlier, which was the really large order, um, and for that not to have been a seamless process at all. So trying to put in in place some things that would help them to be able to order s such large orders, um, and for that process through e-commerce to be more frictionless, um, has been a really important part of of trying to convert people online because now the sales team and the field can go to sale, can go and see a customer, and they can walk them through the process to purchase online. Is the average is the average order value online bigger than the offline order value? No, I would say it would be the other way around, which is exactly the point, right? It is the really large orders that have been troublesome because people are not going to sit there and process super large orders by clicking add this to cart. Um, so that has needed to be solved. And, and then I have a follow-up question before I hand over to Lina and I, and I know she's, it's, it's, it's her, her turn to ask questions now, but uh, then I have a follow-up question because usually you can connect those, those two um, uh, um, uh, phenomena because 
if you see like an online order with like, I don't know, with a certain certain price point, $1,000, for example, then mm-hmm. then implementing a way saying, okay, this order needs to be rerouted into our offline sales team first, because maybe this person like ordering so much stuff, there's like another, another other items he or she might want. So let's call her or him first before we process the order so we can so, so we can generate some cross-selling effects and get this order to two thousand three thousand four thousand um dollars so though it's like the best of both worlds you know like mm-hmm. for the standard stuff like just putting some numbers into the system with whisk, whiskey in the system nobody from the from the feed force is needed but if there's like special requests like okay but on top we have like a party and we need this and that then obviously somebody on the phone might might help even even better have, have you done this or is can, yeah. can your systems do this? Yeah, so um, that is something that we we are now starting to deal with from a communications perspective. So again, mm-hmm. it comes back to the CDP and and understanding um, uh, what are the what are the triggers, I guess, for trying to drive um, upsell or minimum spend and things like that. That is being because it needs to be done at scale. We are seventy six people, but it's still a relatively small business, and and the sales team have will always need to focus on the sort of um, more relationships sort of bigger those b2b clients so then i guess then what is left for marketing is kind of um doing the long tail and exactly what you just said that's our job through a communications perspective is to try to drive some of those average order values and things like that up mm. hey so yeah, you mentioned a lot i think we discussed uh, technology we discussed we briefly touched marketing i would like to pick up more on marketing but before we go there uh, maybe you can, because in the B2B world, uh, services is everything, right? And uh, we know that when you have a person dealing with you on a one-to-one basis and checking with you and meeting you and taking your fine number of coffees every single month, probably to re- replace that with uh, online channel, it, 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 it's quite difficult. So maybe you can um, tell our listeners more about services that ideas offers and and how important are communicating about those services online to kind of support the the easier switch over from the offline to online yeah so i think there's a really interesting use case that we've done um which is sort of has been the most successful so far for the business and it's a highly data driven which is again was 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 another reason for the thinking early on and it has kind of not replaced, but it has helped the sales team reach that long tail that I was mentioning, sort of all of the the volume of customers, not the super, super, you know, the high value, but the sort of long, long tail. Um, the use case is that it's, there are, it was in a lot of markets that we have, there are finite amounts of time to order your goods for, for shipping purposes and things like that. But because we have over over 80 countries and lots of different embassies as part of that, the the data that needs to go into driving when that shipping window is open, sending a notification around that being open, um, and then sort of also driving some personalization around that as well was previously sort of uh, like untenable, even from a salesperson's perspective. So what happened is that the sales team would continue to focus on those that are of um, the most value and then a lot of the sort of the volume would be left so when we put the when we put the um, data platform into place and then we um, we obviously wrote some comms for it we were able to then start to reach those consumers at a very uh, the right time right place right message and help the sale and support the sales team in that way and that has been something that has been quite a game changer for us which I, again i don't think is um is not revolutionary at all but it's certainly 
the complexity of the data and the way that that has been set up has been is is quite amazing actually and then the results that it's returned for the business has been quite amazing yeah so what you're saying is that now you know if before online the consumer will always debate you know when by when i need to order what i need to order and then can they ship it to me in the middle of let's say sudan by friday there were always x a number of questions and they had to probably call the salesperson with what you're saying now is that has been automated you know through communication and uh, pretty much one click you know from consumer standpoint they can check very easily on your website when they log in when in the next window and by when they will receive the products and at the same time it simplified the salespeople's sort of awareness as well because before that they would probably need to have cooperation when is the ship leaving for Sudan you know do I have time you know such and such person called and asked a thousand bottles of champagne can we ship it yes or no so yeah, yeah that's exactly. definitely very um unique and and as there is this and uh, what about in terms of the that were you have you done anything on the engagement so as currently they have one-to-one relationship with a salesperson but that's always a big risk for b2b businesses because when the salesperson leaves you kind of have relationship you know, like they're gone, you kind of start from scratch. Mm-hmm. So is there anything that you kind of using technology or digital, be able, are you able to support that sort of transition and longer, longer term relationship building with customers, um, not taking salesperson out, but kind of supporting the salesperson and, and expanding that, uh, that understanding of the exact customer needs. So are you using any CRM and yeah. the sort of notes? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'd say if we were, we were to call it a life cycle, a life cycle program, I guess is what we've put into place. So as the salesperson transitions or in, or maybe doesn't transition but has less contact, then we can fill some of those um, gaps and opportunities, I guess, through just CRM and communication. So again, because we've got the data platform in place and because we know what they're purchasing and what other people around them are purchasing, you know, some next best products, all of those sorts of things we can make the communications feel personal and can feel relevant to them um, and we can do it at scale. So that's how we're gradually transitioning and being able to pick up, I keep referring to it as long term, but being able to pick up the volume customers that we wouldn't necessarily have been able to with the salespeople. I'd like to ask like a, not a private question, but like my business private question, because it's such a niche, like hidden kind of industry. So have you seen like, so people would, would think there's like, crazy parties going on in this embassy. So do you see orders like this kind of thousand bottles of champagne in the middle of Sudan thing? Is it real or is it just something people people, people do? We will probably need to not disclose that. So, I mean... The, you can pick the... every other other country. So you can nominate, <laughs> you can nominate uh, all the information. It could, it could be Nigeria. Yeah, so I mean, in in a country that is dry, the embassies within the in in those countries are allowed to have their local privileges. So yes, they are allowed to host parties that are um, that have alcohol, and that's acceptable. And so you know, for example, they, I, I won't mention any countries, but they might have a celebration for the king's coronation coming up um, for a UK embassy. And then yes, they are allowed to host guests, and they are allowed to drink alcohol, um, and all of that is completely fine. And yes, they're pretty fun. <laughs> no, I'm asking this question because like 
it's such a valuable customer base you have there. It's, it's so niche. You have like the contact. You might have even like the WhatsApp number or the Facebook messenger number. It's like on top of this kind of the liquor supply or whatever supplies like like a grocery supply. There's so much more stuff you um, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you can do. Not only because of the tax advantage. That's what I understand is one of the big like leverages for your uh, for your business because it's kind of a tax free thing or tax deductible mm-hmm. thing uh, if you order like from for an embassy. But it's like a it's a it's a high network uh, network yes. um, customer base, um, mm-hmm. a very loyal one because mm-hmm. if, if 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 I w- was it like a diplomat in, in in Sudan and like learned about like your reliable service, obviously I, I don't start like looking around. So I stick with your service. So I want mm-hmm. I want to have like even uh, even more. And it's kind of you don't have like the churn problem we are usually discussing in other podcasts where you are competing mm-hmm. with like um, uh, Amazon or Alibaba and all the stuff like another cheaper supplier faster delivery whatever though you're like in a it's 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 it it, it look for me it's it feels more like a b2b business it's mm-hmm. very hard to establish a first like business relation but when you have established the relation there's a lot of like upselling potential right like yes. that if it's a trusted like good uh a good customer relation that makes this kind of business so so interesting mm-hmm. uh from my mm-hmm. point um, yeah, um, it's to your point, actually, it is interesting because particular countries, say, or uh, concerns like Africa and then the and the Middle East, uh, you're right, it is, there are less competitors, although we still have competitors, um, but there is less to choose from. But it is a reality that we face definitely in our domestic markets, which is Brussels and London, they are where they are more, more consumers and they order in the same way as a consumer does. They can go to a local shop and purchase wine and purchase beer and things like that. So the, the, in those markets, it becomes um, a more interesting challenge. But to your point also, uh, we I think one of the things that, there's a couple of things that we do which are interesting and I think probably set us slightly apart. Um, one is we have uh, a couple of people who work for us who are sommeliers um, or ex-sommeliers and then we have people who have extreme wine knowledge. Um, and so they, are, um, they go and they will attend embassies and they will host events um, we host events where we do tastings and, and wine education and things like that. And I think that's something that um, our diplomats love and our community loves because one's it's, it's liquid in hand, which is utopia for any alcohol <laughs> company. Um, two, it's fun and it's social and usually you, 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 they like you because you bring alcohol. But three, I think as well is because if you are someone who is high up in the embassy and you're thinking about hosting an event, which they do, they obviously host their own events. They are also interested to learn more about wine and to understand what they can serve for their own guests. So I think that this is a service that is quite, is definitely unique to us and is quite interesting as a value add, um, which you wouldn't get if you sort of, uh, you know, in Brussels, if you go to a local retailer. What is your what is your gross bottleneck? Is it um, supplies or getting more uh, getting more champagne from the champagne yeah. producer? Is it like more customers, more markets? Is it inventory uh, management? Because mm-hmm. you have like seventy five people now, with, even without like knowing the market exactly. But it must be a, a business where like you can easily uh, employ like one thousand, two thousand people if mm-hmm. you if you do it right. So um, from a gross perspective, so what mm-hmm. is like limiting you today, like in growing even faster? Uh, I mean, apart from a gentle, this I understand. This I understand. Yeah. Yes. Um, we suffer the same issues that uh, I think every, everyone globally does. Was from a supply perspective, we are limited. I mean, we uh, our supply chain is um, through the big brands as well as um, as distributors, and I think that that uh, we are. You know, for example, if 
if there isn't any glenfiddich in the world, there isn't any glenfiddich. So um, those sorts of things affect us as well, obviously. Um, that's a really good question, though, uh, in terms of scaling up. I mean, we will see. So it is growing. We are growing. Um, we are, even though I, it's you, you can't ignore the fact that some of the, it looks like some of the tech industries and things like that are all sort of um, pulling back a tiny bit at the moment. But um, we continue to have strong growth and particularly from a from an e-commerce perspective. So I think it will be interesting to to see over the next couple of years now, um, as particularly from a marketing perspective, as we can ga- gather momentum. Mm. Um, we have a lot of we have a lot of projects and things in in the pipeline to grow our business from an acquisition point of view. Um, so I don't know, if, apart from supply chain, if and shipping, um, but it's getting better. Uh, what is going to limit us right now? Okay, and then my last question before Lena is closing uh, closing the podcast with her like set of like last five to ten questions. I don't know. We haven't we haven't <laughs> on it yet. But uh, let's assume I've uh, I'm 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 a I'm a producer of liquor. Let's say I've, I'm producing like the best rum uh, here in the country. Let's let's call it super craft rum, um, well super rum. Um, and I want to get into into this business, and I want to get through all the other retailers where like normal people can buy. It, I, I say I would say it, it's a very for me, it seems like a very, very smart like brand building strategy to uh, deploy something in this customer cohort, which is very, mm-hmm. very exclusive. And then you, the super RAM is only available like for diplomats worldwide. And they want to get into business business with you. Can you guide me through the process? So how, how complicated is it? And I, I really have access to super RAM, so it's not it's not just a theoretical <laughs> thing. Uh, yes, this could be a better question for uh, for the head of procurement actually than me <laughs> necessarily. Um, I mean, we do have, uh, we work with all the really big brands as well, but we also work with some craft brands. Um, I think I would, um, Jenny could probably answer this question better than I could, but, um, we get approached, uh, by brands all the time. Um, and I think it just depends. I think she obviously has a process that she needs to go to, to go through to have a look at in terms of how we secure the goods and how they can be trans, trans, um, transported to any of our hubs and things like that. But, um, yeah, there isn't anything stopping any brand from approaching us, I guess. Okay, so after this podcast, I can follow up with you and the head of procurement yeah. to figure <laughs> yeah. out how, how, yes. my, how the super run right. is getting into the next Sudan part. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I will just add to Arena Arsenas in this uh, on, on that. So, yes, uh, anyone can approach ideas, but there is um, uh, what, uh, you know, I would say ideas is is like... Amazon, right? So if there is no demand, they will not hold the supply in their warehouses, right? So that so there are there are products that they distribute globally. So every single warehouse that they have will have that certain you know product available. Uh, there are products that are specific for the local market. So taking into account your super arm, you would probably say, okay, people in which part of the world, you know, people like love drinking rum and unavailable so let's say your super rum is uh, already all over germany right so you would probably approach ideas european entity and um and you would say that um like this is a super rum uh, person a b and c i don't know like king of this and this tried it and then and and it's good and at the other time you know you can have a diplomat right so there are uh, when Christina mentions um, missionaries, so you take it um, NATO or big organizations, right? So like uh, big volume, like, like a lot of people scale. 
and the and you know if if we can guarantee the volume and everyone demands the product we as ideas probably also would approach the brand and be like look uh in the last month 2000 people asked about uh, super all like guys you know can you guarantee the volume you know because the biggest problem for ideas they will not take you as a as a startup because it's a volume game, right? So they need to fill the container. No, but it's, next, it's a very exclusive product, you know. It's not like champagne. It's not like it's not like water. No, <laughs> but they're not gonna ship one bottle, you know, to yeah. So they find that. But they they could come, you know, from uh, diplomats and 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 people requesting for it. And at the same time, you know, like the, we need to have the global brands, you know. Uh, because it's a lower risk cost and then consumers from different countries, different parts of the world, different cultures with all, like everyone knows more champagne and all Jack Daniels whiskey. Okay. So this is how that would work. Um, so yeah, just the last question then. So what are your predictions for the e-commerce and uh, this and next year, uh, as you, if you mentioned a lot of the, a lot of the companies, uh, Pulling back, you know, and and, and reducing, and saying, oh, revising their uh, sales target. Uh, you are definitely growing as a business, and for you, e-commerce is still on the growth stage, you know, because you started just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So, what what are your predictions? How are you seeing uh, e-commerce shape in the next uh, eighteen months? Let's say, and is there anything? Uh, idea is gonna offer in 2024 that they're currently not offering online uh yes uh our ambition is to have a completely dynamic and personalized website for each for each customer so that's something that we're working towards um and i think that that will help shift things for us quite a lot um my i mean you're right we are early at the beginning of our e-commerce journey so uh is we're slightly different from what i would um say about maybe the rest of the industry necessarily but um we won't be pulling, I don't think that we'll see a decline um, and because we've got so many new um, projects in, in the pipeline and and we are trying to transition people online and things like that, I think that this is not going to be um, such an issue for us. But I think the biggest opportunity is definitely social commerce um, and and because of the way that our cost, our customers order and, um, and because pe the way people are generally interacting with us through social, I think that's our biggest opportunity. Um, and what that looks like, particularly through WhatsApp is what I'm most sort of curious to see how that unfolds at the moment. Um, but yeah, so I think less, I mean, I think the e-commerce will always grow and develop. Um, and then the social commerce for me was probably the space that's most intriguing from a, and particularly from a B2B perspective. Nice. Well, let's see, you know, we'll call you next year for the, another uh, part two of the podcast and yeah, you never know. This maybe e-commerce will, will be big, bigger than uh, than maybe uh, maybe SuperRam is already deployed. Let's yeah. See, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. Fine. As long as I can have a bottle. Uh, yeah. You can we'll you can <laughs> we figure out after the recording how how we how you can get a bottle bottle of SuperRam and then you can give me your your, uh, your feedback. Yeah. So you tasting for you. <laughs> Lina, Lina, thank you for your time.